0: Play the flute in the key of Vincent, you piss-faced Richards. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. Fantastic feedback for last week's episode, where I had the wonderful Mancon Magan on to talk about... to talk about fucking all sorts, man, so I got great feedback from that. It was wonderful to have Mancon on. I I liked it. Do you know, it didn't sound like... it didn't sound like we were doing it over the fucking phone, because we were. I have a new method of recording where it it sounded like we were in the same room when i listened back to it i was very happy with it and i'm glad you liked it and i can't wait to do more more interviews in that way you know i was afraid that i wouldn't be able to achieve kind of conversational intimacy with a person if i wasn't in the same room as them but it doesn't seem to be an issue so i'm looking forward to doing more of them welcome to the podcast you cunts Um, if you're a brand new listener listen to some older podcasts that's what I always suggest if you're a regular listener what's the crack Um, I'm recording this at night time while the world is waiting to find out who's the next US president so by the time you hear this we'll probably know who the next US president is and I'm sick of it I'm just I'm I'm not, no, that's not fair I'm not going to say I'm sick of it I just it, it I just it, I just want to turn away from it. I just want to not think about it. I've I've been through a fair few fucking US presidential elections and this is the one that I'm least engaged with because I can't call it. I literally I cannot and would not try and call who has won. Simple as that. So, I'm sure you feel the exact fucking same. You feel the exact same. So this week's podcast is going to be about things I'd like to speak about that are not the US presidential election so thing I'd like to speak about that isn't the US presidential election number one is Easter Island men Easter Island who had quite a unique and strange process of electing their leaders if you could call it that Easter Island is This tiny island, one of the most isolated islands in the world, smack bang in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Like, when you see it on a map, like, I look at it sometimes and I'm like, holy fuck, that's isolated. And you can do Google Maps on it, you can go around the streets in Easter Island, but it's halfway between Asia and South America in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's part of Polynesia, ...which is a vast collection of islands in the Pacific Ocean. Tiny little islands. You know, Polynesia and Micronesia have particular significance right now... ...because these are the islands that are disappearing because of climate change. You know, as the seas rise, these are are the firsts. The first islands that are disappearing, really. Um, Easter Island... ...you'd know it because it's the one that has those giant stone heads... ...on the island, this tiny island in the middle of nowhere... ...and it has all these massive... ...stone figures that just look like huge heads... ...right? Which we're all familiar with because... ...people have scratched their head for, heads for years wondering... ...how the fuck did they do this... ...in the middle of nowhere, what was it for? And those stone heads... ...they started building them nearly a thousand years ago... ...like when Europe was in the, in the early, early Middle Ages... Easter Island, this small island, smaller than Ireland, was densely enough populated and there was a thriving civilization on it and they were building these huge heads. And the thing with Easter Island, it's one of these civilizations that the history of it often gets brought up anecdotally as a warning against finite resources, as a warning against unsustainable living because there's many kind of theories as to what happened to Easter Island why, why was it once full of people who built these massive stone heads and then it just became a practically a deserted island 200 years ago with just these heads left and the common narrative is the people on this island had limited resources, they only had so many forests, they only had so many animals and they basically used it all up they used everything up until the island itself was bare. Now, that's a real... It, it, that's a good story. Okay? It's its allegorical. Easter Island is always used, like I said, as, as a warning for civilization. To show that, like, resources are limited. You can't just keep cutting down trees. You can't just keep using all the oil. One day, it will all go and... you'll be fucked and Easter Island is used as the example of look it happened to them you know a thousand years ago they were able to build these huge stone heads no one knows how they did it they were obviously technologically advanced and now they're gone but from the reading that I've been doing like I said that's partly true that's the most interesting version it's really interesting to think that a civilization used up everything out of sheer greed but you know, there was a multitude of things, this, this rat, like, the the Polynesian people were fantastic at building boats, and, uh, they weren't seafaring people, like, Polynesia is this collection of islands over this huge fucking distance, going right down to New Zealand, and they were flying back and forth between islands, you know, and populating each island, and really, really excellent at boat building so a rat was introduced to the island a Polynesian, Polynesian rat I think it was and similar enough to with small islands you always see the, the downfall is, is when an animal comes in so Mauritius right there used to be a bird on Mauritius called the Dodo we all know the Dodo because it's heralded as this big bird that once existed 200 years ago and then got completely extinct and the dodo, when I was growing up, was always used as, as an example of animals can go extinct. And we were led to believe that, like, the dodo became extinct on the island of Mauritius because the Portuguese ate them all, because the dodo had no natural predators, so it was just this bird that you could catch easily. But that's not true, because the word dodo, I think it's a Portuguese word that means fat arse so the dodo was too fat for for humans to eat no one wanted to eat it what killed the dodo was the Portuguese introduced pigs and the pigs got onto the island and ate all the dodo's eggs and killed the dodos well on Easter Island yes the humans on Easter Island were using a lot of timber but a rat was introduced and I think the rat was brought by other Polynesians but a rat was introduced and on the island of Easter Island there used to be fuckloads loads of palm trees and when the rats got on the island their favourite food were the nuts and seeds of this palm tree so the rats ate all the fucking seeds and the palm trees couldn't grow also as well western contact with Easter Island um, brought new diseases diseases from Europe that killed a lot of people there and um, So there's many reasons why the population... The society of of Easter Island did collapse. That's for sure, right? It did collapse. But this narrative of they used up all the trees... ...in order to help themselves build these stone, stone heads... ...is simplistic. But what interests me... ...is what happened to... ...we'll say the beliefs, the spiritual beliefs... ...and how they elected leaders... ...as a response to collapse... ...within... ...kind of Polynesian religions... ...this common... ...there's this common thing called mana... ...and mana is like... ...like a life energy... ...like like the the energy that the, the universe... ...permeates through... ...that this mana energy is... ...it gives all life... ...and it dictates everything... ...and... ...they say that the purpose of those giant heads on Easter Island was it was part of an ancestor cult uh, a religious belief that kind of looks towards and worships ancestors and the dead Okay, so these giant heads which were called moai were giant stone structures that represented ancestors and as soon as the people on Easter Island the indigenous people of Easter Island put eyes usually made out of coral into the heads of the giant stone heads, then mana flowed through these heads, and then the mana would flow to like the descendants of the people who, who had died. So these stone structures were like conduits for this mana energy of life. And, and and it would flow into the people. So like the, the, the people who were alive and the dead had this symbiotic relationship whereby The dead, via mana, would provide this energy to the living. And this mana energy was everything. It it was how healthy your animals were, how many crops you could grow, whether you could have children, how happy you were going to be, your luck. This was all determined by mana, which flowed from the dead through these giant statues. And then through symbiosis, what the living had to do, is they had to look after the dead via these statues by providing the right type of offerings and worship and respecting these giant statues they then created this balance where mana could flow between the dead and the living and that was the the way of life that was the dominant theory of reality on Easter Island until their society started started to collapse until we'll say the rats were introduced in particular when when the resources started to disappear then They stopped building stone statues. Because you can imagine. A village building these stone statues. That's a fucking huge deal. These are massive. Massive, massive heavy things. A load of people would have had to have been involved. They don't know exactly how they. They think they carved them out of mountains. And then rolled them down on logs. But when the resources started to disappear. You would have had a lot of emigration as well. These are seafaring people. So a lot of them would have simply left the island. And fucked off to tahiti or somewhere near like that so when the population declined and the resources declined the theory of reality and the religious beliefs changed right with the more stressful conditions on the island with less resources less food less trees the people of easter island just they started to fight more they started to become more warlike. And more tribal. And more competitive with each other. Because there was less resources. But then around the 17th century. Something interesting happened. They were still collapsing as a society. There was still a lack of resources. They stopped engaging in warfare. They stopped fighting with each other. Because I'm assuming it was it was too costly. To be killing people. But I have a kind of a hot take too. I think... There were so few people less than a thousand maybe a couple hundred on the island that it, it was impossible for them to for different groups to dehumanize each other in order for warfare to exist one side needs to in in their minds completely strip the other side of humanity and then that makes killing okay that's how warf- warfare happens oh those over there they're less than human therefore it's okay to kill them that's a common human thing but on easter island in the 17th century everyone probably knew each other there were so few people everyone knew each other and the concept and everyone was probably related in some way either through blood or marriage and the concept of actually killing each other became unacceptable the pain people were too close so it became unacceptable so they, they, they developed this this new way to engage in conflict that wasn't violent. They still had this, this concept of mana, this force, this force that determines resources, that determines your, your luck, the quality of your life. Mana still existed, but within a civilization who could no longer build these giant stone statues because there wasn't enough of them. They weren't being fed well enough. So the concept of mana shifted from being present in these statues to being present in, in one person mana now flowed through one individual and this individual was known as the birdman and on easter island near the end they started to develop this belief called the birdman cult right instead of fighting instead of hurting each other each tribe would elect like one man who could be, become the Birdman once a year through this mad competition the contestants of the Birdman competition on Easter Island the contestant was chosen by it was, the contestant was revealed to a prophet in a dream so they had these prophets each tribe had a prophet and this person would dream up who the contestant was going to be and the contestant was always like a tribal leader so once the once the tribal leader was revealed in a dream, this person must be the contestant, then the leader, of course, isn't the person who's gonna be the contestant. The leader then picks like the strongest young lad in their tribe to be the contestant in the Birdman competition. So how the Birdman competition worked was just off Easter Island, where it was this tiny little rock, right? so you wouldn't even call it an island an islet I think it was called but this rock and on this rock lived a type of bird called a, a sooty tern right and what the goal was is the birdman contestant had to swim out to this rock with some basic provisions like swimming out naked with some basic provisions wrapped up in reeds that they would tie to their body and then swim out to this rock where the birds lived and it was really dangerous like they died and everything like it wasn't this was serious business so the contestants would have to swim out to this rock if they were lucky enough they made it to the rock then they had to wait there for the terns to start nesting and the goal of the successful birdman the the man who becomes the birdman was the person who could collect the first egg that was laid by the sooty tern right then They strapped the egg to their forehead. And had to successfully swim back. To Easter Island with the egg strapped to their forehead. So then when the lad with the egg strapped to his forehead. Reaches the shore of Easter Island. He would roar out. Uh, My my tribal leader. uh, One I have the egg. He'd say "Go, go shave your head. Go shave your head you have the egg. And he'd shout this from the shore. And then someone else would hear that. And they'd shout it all around the island until it reached your man, the tribal leader, who was revealed in a dream. Then the tribal leader would have to shave his head. Oh, and then the fella that lost, the fella that lost, the fella that lost, lost, who got no egg, had to stay on the island with the birds, on the little rock with the birds and fast to think about the fact that he lost. But anyway, so that the tribal leader who'd done fuck all, he'd just been revealed in a dream. He was then standing at the top of a mountain. And then the younger lad. With the egg strapped to his forehead. Had to climb this sheer cliff face. Because he could still die at this point. Had to climb to the top of the mountain. And then present the egg. To the tribal leader. Who at this point had shaved his entire head. And painted his face and body red. And this tribal leader now. Had all the mana. The mana energy. That 300 years previously had been. You know, brought into these big stone heads now all the mana was in this tribal leader all the other tribes had to give him gifts, had to give him resources but what it meant crucially is that he became the bird man and the, his tribe had the sole rights to go to the island with the birds and collect all the eggs and that's what that meant he was the bird man and his tribe could get the eggs and could get the resources without blood being spilled And then the leader, the fella who's done fuck all, only received the egg. He then had, because he had all the mana, because he was the bird man, he had so much mana that the energy and power of it was dangerous for anyone around him. So he had to live in in complete isolation in this hut, locked off. And all he had to do for an entire year was to grow his toenails as long as he could. And just eat and sleep for a year because his mana was too powerful. And he that that's he was the, he was like the president. I get. I suppose. I'm thinking and talking about this because I'm I'm trying not to think about the U.S. presidential election. But I'm just marveling at. You know we're here. You know that that birdman shit sounds bizarre. You know it's it's how do you decide who the leader is a lad has to swim with an egg on his forehead and then if he wins the leader grows his fucking toenails long that's the long long toenail bird birdman but it's so more civilised it's so more civilised than modern society Th- this is a society who decided to exist without war they're like no we, we can't we can't go killing people for power there, there must be another way And it's, it's, they must have really believed in this mana stuff. Because the cynic, the 21st century Western cynic in me. Like if we were to do that in Ireland now, if we were to go, right, we're we're not having a general election. We're going to have a crack at, based on the traditions of the people of Easter Island, we feel that general elections are too divisive, they get people too angry. Let's have a crack at the Birdman competition. And you'd have. Mary Lou MacDonald. And Leo Vradker. Would hop into the Liffey. They'd have to swim. Race each other up to Bull Island. And then headbutt a rat. They'd swim up to Bull Island. And the first rat they see. You have to headbutt the rat to death. Then duct tape the rat to your forehead. Swim back down to O'Connell Bridge. And then. Off to O'Connell Bridge, run into Supermax, run into that Supermax there near, near the GPO and get a garlic cheese chip. Mary Lou MacDonald would win. And then the winner would stand beside fucking Jim Larkin's statue outside the GPO with a rat cellotaped to their forehead, heralding aloft a Supermax garlic cheese chip. And this would be the winner. That's the new T shock. There's the new T shock. We all saw it happen. They ha- Mary Lou swam up the Liffey, headbutted the rat up on Bull Island. We all saw it. RTE had a helicopter camera crew, undisputed. She is now holding the garlic cheese chip. She is the Birdman. N- people would just go, No, I don't like the result. I don't like the result. I don't want her as as my T shock. I don't care that she headbutted the rat. I don't care that it's duct taped to her forehead. I don't care that she's holding the fucking Supermax garlic cheese chip. I'm not having her. No one would respect it because we wouldn't have had the mana. And I'm guessing in Easter because you 'Cause you're th- you're thinking, well, w- w- what if? What if he didn't? What if even if the Birdman won, and even if he had the egg, and even if he had the big long toenails, what if you just simply don't want him to win? Are you going to revolt? Is there going to be violence? And I guess not. Because of this belief in mana. The mana belief must have been so powerful that it's like, this is out of our hands. It wasn't a a competition of prowess. The best swimmer didn't win. It wasn't the most athletic person that won. The mana chose this winner and we can't fuck with it because a lot is at stake a lot's at stake a man comes back with an egg on his head and the person he gives it to is like will my fucking tribe get to eat the eggs here we are on this tiny island lads all the food is gone there's no fucking trees right all that's left is fucking eggs and they're mine they're mine and the manna has decided it and the other tribes I'm guessing would just have to respect that but also what I'm assuming is there was probably sharing this group the Birdman's tribe had first dibs on the eggs but they probably gave some to the other tribes that didn't win that's probably how it worked that's probably how it worked and maybe there was wide scale scale emigration emigration was a thing a lot of Uh, people from Easter Island they went over to Tahiti and maybe the tribes that were maybe that's what happened your tribe won your tribe had access to the eggs then the other tribe had less eggs so for them they experienced a recession and they just fucked off to Tahiti but it seems uh, that seems more civilised it just we have this temptation to look at that and, and think Ah, isn't that mad why is that mad why why is that mad and why can't we do it in ireland with it with a uh, a rat on bull island but we almost we almost have a tradition that's similar enough to the easter island birdman tradition in ireland like there's a place down in kerry called killargan a little village and since since like fucking the the 17th century they have this thing called the Puck Fair right and what happens is one day a year I think it's like it's around August a group of people head up to the mountains and they catch a wild goat they catch a wild goat and then the goat is brought to the town square now this happens every year and then they get like a a JCB or a crane. And they put they, they put a crown on the goat. And they elevate the goat. High into the air. In a cage. And everyone parties below for like three days. While the goat is up there as a king. And this happens. This this, I doubt it happened this year because of coronavirus. But it's been happening every year in Kerry. Since the 17th century. Or no the 16 fucking hundredths. Now, when I first heard it, I w- I'm I'm guessing what that is is like it's 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 an Irish resistance, a type of an Irish resistance to the concept or idea of a monarch. It's like mocking, you know, if 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 you're in Ireland and you have this foreign fucking English king that you have to bow down to, and you're you know there's British soldiers and you're you're under their rule and their law, the one little bit of resistance you have is to create rituals that poke fun at it. So you get a wild goat and you call the goat a king, and that's really funny. Um one one mythology around it is, is that there's this Irish song Pokerbuilla and it's a belief that in when when Oliver Cromwell, right, in the seventeenth century, Cromwell was conquesting Ireland and Cromwell's famous quote was said to his soldiers get your swords drunk on the blood of Irishmen Cromwell was brutal Cromwell committed genocide in Ireland and there's a story that in Kerry Cromwell's army was invading on the town in Kerry in Stillorgan and what happened was his army came across this herd of goats and the goats ran away obviously when they saw this fucking advancing army but one goat in particular broke away from the herd and came down to the town. And the townspeople were like, The fuck is that goat doing here? Like almost like when when seagulls come in, you know when seagulls come in, you know that there's a storm out sea. So the people in the town were like, the fuck is this goat doing here? This isn't this isn't right for this goat to be in the town. He should be with his herd. What's he scared of? What what's happening? and that this goat came into the town and ended up accidentally warning everyone about Cromwell's advancing army and then the town were like I don't know what the fuck the goat's doing here but it's bad news, let's get the fuck out and then when Cromwell's army came in to commit genocide on the town he didn't find any people because they'd they'd ran away and this is where the, the puck fair, the puck goat comes from how about that as a way to find our elected representatives I don't want to know your opinions on the economy. I don't, I don't care what your opinions are on Ireland's corporation tax. Fuck off up there and find me a goat, will you? And then we'll decide who gets to be king around these parts. There, there is a, a slight political element to the Pog Fair because, like, one big political issue in Ireland is whether we should modern modernise our nightclub night laws to kind of co-align with Europe like in 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 Spain <coughs> pubs just the nightclubs just stay open all night they just stay open all night until the morning and people come and go and people say that that's a healthier smarter way to have nightclubs but in Ireland we don't have that everything shuts down at 2 p. or 2 a.m. but in fucking Kilorglin during the Puck Fair the pubs stay open t- till 3 a.m. and it's not official the guards just don't enforce it. So the only place where the, where the pubs will stay open till 3am or longer. Once a year. Is in this little village in Kerry because of because of the fucking Pug Fair. So in a sense it's political. The law gets bent. Gets broken for one night. Because a goat is declared king. I think it's time now for an ocarina pause. A little pause. Because there's going to be some adverts inserted. And I don't want you getting a, a surprise and having your podcast hog ruined. So let's play the ocarina now.
1: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8000 PA suction and master's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's EUFY.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799.
0: that was the ocarina pause and you were just sold something i don't know what it was because the ads are algorithmically generated depending on on you and what you search for um this podcast is 100% independent it is supported by the community of people that listen to the podcast it's supported by you the listener via the patreon page patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast Um, I don't have any gigs because of the coronavirus thingy. Coronavirus has impacted my industry quite heavily. So this is my sole source of income. This is my full-time job. This is how I earn a living. I fucking love doing it. I absolutely adore doing this podcast. Um, So if if you're consuming it and you're enjoying it and you're listening to it and it's bringing you a distraction in your day, if it's bringing you meaning, just consider paying me for the work that i'm doing and you can do that the price of a pint or a cup of coffee that's all i'm asking for patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast become a patron of the podcast it also keeps the podcast independent if i'm too reliant on advertisers then advertisers can ring me up and say i don't like what you spoke about this week speak about something else i definitely don't want that situation happening i have the power to say fuck off get off my podcast i'll speak about what i want so the patreon keeps this independent as well gives me full editorial control another thing about the patreon model if you can afford it if you can afford it if you're enjoying this you're listening to it and you can afford to give me a pint or a coffee once a month do but what you're also doing you're paying for someone who's listening to this who can't afford it you're paying for them to listen and then I'm earning a living, everyone's happy. And it's it's just a nice, lovely model that's based on soundness and kindness. I get to earn a living, and then people who can't afford to be giving me a pint once a month, they get to listen for free. Everyone's happy. Um, also, follow me on Twitch. I live stream on Twitch three times a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays at about half eight. And I... Twitch is good crack because you get to if you log on when I'm logged on you can chat to me live I play video games I make I'm, I'm currently making a never ending musical I make music to a video game and sometimes I just chat but it's great crack I fucking love doing Twitch Twitch is just unbelievably enjoyable and it's a real creative space and it's nice during the fucking pandemic as well it gives me a sense of i it gives me a sense of fucking speaking to people I don't get a chance to speak to people. I'm quarantined for fucking more than six months now, you know? So that's twitch.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Recommend the podcast to a friend, share it, all that carry on. You know the crack. Alright? I do this shit every week because people come and go. People come and go from the Patreon, people come and go from Twitch, and this is my full time job. So I gotta do this or else there's no one paying bills. Yart. So what else do I want to talk about while not talking about the US presidential election? I want to talk about the folk music of Colombia. Now, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm fascinated with music of all types. If I'm bored, I will literally just decide, I wonder what music sounds like in Colombia. And I will end up on a big, long spotify hall and a youtube hall and wikipedia finding out about colombian music or then i might decide what does peruvian music sound like what does music sound like in chile so i went through a phase of, of listening to the traditional music of pretty much every country in the world just for crack because i find that enjoyable and as like i like hearing how different music is influenced by the physical environment by the politics by the the people who came and went how certain music from here can sound like certain music from there and with all of music in South America you can kind of I can hear all the different folk musics and it can make sense it's usually a, a mixture of indigenous music from the area West African influence because of the transatlantic slave trade and then a little bit of European and this is present in all the different musics that you find around South America, and they're all different. But then with Colombia, Colombia is is the one that stands out as going. This this doesn't sound like any other folk music in South America. What the fuck is going on with Colombia that it sounds so radically different to everything around it? I'll play you a little example. So that there is Colombian traditional music that's called ve- velanatos. Velenatos is the style of, of Colombian traditional music and it sounds completely different to any other traditional music from the surrounding countries. It's completely unique. Specifically th- the use of the accordion and the accordion is all over this Colombian velanatos music. Accordion is... is ...without question the most prominent instrument... ...and the accordion doesn't feature anywhere else... ...in traditional South American music... ...and the music that most closely sounds like... ...this velenatus music... ...is German traditional folk music... ...so when I heard this... ...when I, when, when it popped out of my ears and I'm going... What, what? ...like if I'm listening to all the music in South America... And then one is is wildly different to the rest. I then immediately have to find out. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on with Colombia and accordions? And why does it remind me of German folk music or stuff you'd hear in Switzerland or even a little bit of French? And then lo and behold, I find out that in the 19th century, German uh, ships and traders used to go to Colombia quite often, Right and the sailors on the German ships used to trade their musical instruments with Colombian people and it's the 19th fucking century now with Colombian people in exchange for for whatever they had and the Colombians were getting all these their specific German Horner Horner brand accordions diatonic accordions the Germans were just the Colombians were like we want your fucking accordions just give them to us their class So all these German accordions ended up in Colombia in the 19th century. And then they started to mix the accordions with traditional Colombian uh, percussion instruments like bongos and there was a type of flute, a Colombian type of flute. And they developed their own folk music with these German accordions and that's why Colombian folk music sounds so different and so strange to the music around it and it's it's really beautiful because we, we take for granted now like with the internet now th- that can't fucking happen you know m- musical specific musical genres being unique to certain being unique to certain areas is something that only really, really exists when you can't hear recorded music like those lads in Colombia in the 19th century they were simply handed an instrument they might have heard German sailors playing it I'm sure the German sailors showed them a thing or two on the accordion but ultimately they're existing in isolation with one instrument and this gets the offshoot into something completely new some completely new thing almost like the influence that I mean certain ingredients would have had on cooking Like the tomato, the tomato came from South America and made its way over to Italy. What's the tomato do to Italian cooking? Italian cooking is nothing but fucking tomatoes now, you know? What would Italian cooking be without tomatoes? So the, the, the accordion is the Colombian music what the tomato is to Italian cooking. Potatoes, man. Potatoes come from fucking Peru. We all eat potatoes, tobacco, chocolate. These are all South American things. And we refer to this as the Columbian Exchange. That's what it's called because of Christopher Columbus. The Columbian Exchange is when a load of fruits and veg and animals and livestock went between the Americas and Europe and changed how we how we eat and how we live. But I never thought of it with music going in the reverse direction, do you know? But then it got me thinking... That can't just be an isolated case. That can't just be an isolated case where an instrument would arrive somewhere and then drastically change the sound of of a people's music. And then I heard this shit from the 1970s. So that there is music from a place called cape verde right and cape verde it's this island off the west coast of africa and again i would listen to traditional music from many different parts of africa in particular i'm interested in in music from west africa because the traditional music of West Africa and up around Morocco as well North Africa uh, Gnawa music it's called you can hear in West African music the roots of blues and jazz and I have a particular interest in that but then I start listening to music from Cape Verde and it's radically different radically different to everything else around it in particular I'm listening to that and I was going fuck me is that a synthesizer because I thought it was some sometimes weird stringed instruments can sound electronic but it wasn't I'm like that's definitely a synthesizer and then I went listening to more music from the 70s from Cape Verde and it was all of it had all these synthesizers but the rhythms weren't like pop music it wasn't like disco rhythms it wasn't 4-4 they were quite complicated African folk rhythms so immediately that gets my senses tingling. I'm like, I need to find out what the fuck is going on here. What is going on that this music from this African island, this West African island, is using electronic instruments and I'm not hearing this in other music from that period in any other part of West Africa. What strange thing has happened here in Cape Verde? Is it like Colombia? Is it like Colombia with the accordions? and my senses were correct so it turns out in 1968 right this ship left Baltimore now I don't know what Baltimore was it was it Baltimore in the US or Baltimore in Cork I can't find that out I'm going to assume it's the US because it's 1968 so this ship left from Baltimore in the US yeah Baltimore is coastal in the US It left Baltimore in the US most likely. And it was heading for Rio de Janeiro down in Brazil. So leaving east coast of America all the way down to Brazil. And then the ship went missing. And I mean really missing. I'm talking fucking months. No one could find this thing. Now the journey from Baltimore to Brazil is is a fairly straight line down. So the ship drifted all the way east until it eventually reached west africa and the ship ends up 4 months later right the crew are nowhere to be found and the ship ends up on the coast of this little island cape verde off west africa and it turns out the ship was going from baltimore to rio de janeiro because in rio de janeiro in 1968 ...there was supposed to be this huge exhibition... ...of electronic music instruments... ...because they would have been a... ...massive novelty in 1968... ...they would have been a novelty... ...they would have been... ...incredibly expensive... ...ridiculously expensive... ...prohibitively expensive... ...like to own a synthesizer in 1968... ...you'd want to be... ...fucking... ...either a very wealthy musician... ...or a studio might buy one... ...or a university might buy one... ...and they were heading down to Brazil... ...and the ship gets fucking lost so the ship ends up wrecking just outside cape verde so then the police commandeer the ship and it's like well the crew's not around fuck it let's open up the ship and they open it up and inside it they find hundreds of like moog synthesizers Rhodes pianos organs all these cutting edge high-end electronic instruments wash up on the shore of this small tiny West African island and the leader of the country at that time the leader of of uh, Cape Verde he was anti-colonial so this anti-colonial leader was like well fuck it If if a ship washes up on my shore I'm taking what's inside it so the leader basically took all of the synthesizers all of the organs and decided that they were to be equally distributed to all the schools in Cape Verde so now all of a sudden in this, quite this, this poor nation you have all these kids and they're playing traditional Cape Verde uh, West African songs but now they've got cutting edge synthesizers in the classroom and what you end up with is this early 70s I don't know like some people call it space echo music it's unlike anything else because these people in Cape Verde, they've never heard electronic music. They've never heard a synthesizer. It's the late 60s, early 70s. They've simply been given... The, the, the people there thought the ship fell from the sky. That's they said, the ship fell from the fucking sky. They've been given these instruments that they've never heard played. And they're just fucking around with them. And they're doing what they know, which is mixing it with the rhythms of their traditional folk music. And then they invent this completely bizarre type of electronic music which has no, nothing else sounds like it. It is its own unique fucking music which then went on to inspire more electronic music throughout Africa. And it doesn't, there's not a huge amount of the recordings around and I'd imagine a lot of the music got lost but someone released a compilation a couple of years ago called Space Echo the mystery behind the cosmic sound of Cabo Verde because Cape Verde is called Cabo Verde now it was a Portuguese colony and now it's independent I believe but yeah the fucking folk music of Cabo Verde m- with, that, that has electronic instruments that was years ahead of its fucking time and what's beautiful about it is it's naivety it's the music is naive because the musicians received these instruments, had never heard them before, didn't know what they were, and managed to find a use for them that fit in with what they were doing with traditional acoustic instruments. And there's a there's a beauty in that. The same way with the lads in Colombia with the accordions. You can't, that doesn't exist anymore. You can't get that anymore. The internet ruins that. The internet and the capacity and ability to hear recorded sounds ruins that you know what I mean so that was the second thing I wanted to talk about while not talking about the US election alright Um, like I said I'm recording this the night before so I don't know what the fucking results are I don't know I'm gonna catch you next week in the meantime be compassionate to yourself be compassionate to your neighbour I don't know what next week's podcast is gonna be hopefully it will be a hot take of some description i'm going to be on the lookout for new guests i think the world is my oyster now that i've figured out how to record high quality at long distance i think i could fucking have anyone on the podcast and have crack with them but yeah mind yourselves do your i know we're all in lockdown again but if you're getting your little walk in smell the fucking air smell the autumn be mindful of the crunch of the leaves underneath nature. smell the cold smoky evening this cold smoky evenings that we have now you know don't let don't let winter get you down is what i'm saying we have this this opinion i say this every fucking year lads but we have this opinion that like it's cold and it's dark and therefore that has to be ugly or that has to make you upset it doesn't find the beauty in winter there's beauty in winter look for it find it do you know what i mean Don't be saying to yourself, ah shit outside, therefore, therefore I'm sad. Find the fucking beauty. Yart.